What's up, everybody? We are back. It's week eight. This is February. I'm sorry, Saturday, February 27th, and we are take or miss. And tonight is just me. This week is just me and uh, Anna for for our segment. And then uh, we have a great Khalil will join us uh, for the interview. Uh, we have an awesome, awesome, legendary interview with um, a Brazilian, a Gracie Brazilian jiu-jitsu legend, um, uh, the first ever UFC tournament champion, and the first ever inaugural UFC Hall of Famer, Hoist Gracie. Um, so stick around for an awesome interview at about the 20-minute mark. And Tom Brady has won a seventh goddamn super bowl yes he did i'm not gonna say that i was right about literally all of my super bowl predictions but i was right about (laughs) literally all my super bowl predictions you know Um, i'm glad i'm glad that i didn't bet because i was so close to putting like a seven bet parlay down on literally every and and literally every single one of them would have been would have been wrong and my, my football gut and my football like intuition should have told me that, um, yeah, just the Buccaneers actually match up really well against Kansas city. Um, especially with Kansas city's really, really, really poor O-line versus, uh, Kansas mm-hmm. city or I'm sorry, versus Tampa Bay's outstanding, incredible, uh, defensive line. Um, and also the, phenomenal two of the just most athletic like craziest beast linebackers I've seen since like Bobby Wagner and and like Bruce Irvin and KJ Wright from the Legion of Doom or whatever the hell Mm -hmm. they were called in Seattle a few years back um they match up really well with the skill position players and Travis Kelsey and um obviously when you have a front seven like that you just absolutely take Tyreek Hill and and that Hardman guy, you know, out of the game and, and, and the rookie running back, who's really good too. So um, whatever, wasn't even a good game. Wasn't fun. Um, but I have a hot take about the halftime show. Apparently it's just Ooh, like an American tradition now. every year to just, someone's going to just shit on the, on the, um, on the Super Bowl halftime show. I thought, yeah, but did you like it though? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was the greatest ever, but I am heavily, heavily biased as a weekend. I mean, as a diehard weekend fan for the past 10 years now, since I was 18, I just turned 28 last week. I am a diehard weekend fan since like house of balloons. You know what I mean? Like the trilogy. So like you're, yeah. So you're way back up in the like, yeah, yeah. So I've been waiting for this. So You're not going to not like a weekend concert. Like, I don't think there's anything in that case that he could have done for you to been like, Oh, that's terrible because you like the music. But if you're like, yeah, yeah. But the set list could have pissed me off a little bit. That's fair enough. He he got all the played a bunch of star boy, like BD behind the manager, which you kind of did, but it was, Mm -hmm. I mean, you only get 15, 20 minutes, so whatever. But I thought the like this the cinematography and just the the just oh my god, I, I I just thought it was so the effects, I thought it was just so creative and just so cool. And the dude spent seven million of his own money. He didn't make any money for the that's where I'm money. a little bit confused because watching that, I'm like I don't know, it, it was cool, but like where what are the seven million that the weekend put into that okay. like show up you know what i mean like when i heard that because i did see those those headlines i was like wow this is gonna be he's gonna do some fucking crazy shit and like it was it was like pretty out there and like whatever but i also yeah i'm just have been so weirded out by his whole like 
his thing with the bandages and like oh, yeah. he's kept this going for just so long like pretty much all of after hours has just been yeah it's great the entire aesthetic of it is the the bandages and the weird plastic surgery and like i i get it i guess but like i don't know i feel it's like you gotta it's the album theme for sure and you know what actually just recently like a month or so ago i i you know, I, I saw like the latest, you know, music video or whatever. I think it was Save Your Tears. Mm-hmm. And I actually went back to the first, in, I did the chrono, in chronological order, the the music videos that he released um, for each song, you know, on, on After Hours. And it's like a series of like six music videos yeah, or whatever. And oh my God, if you guys listening want to like do yourself a favor and, and it's like, it's disturbing, especially the song too late. It's highly disturbing, but I think it's brilliant. And I, you know, I obviously as an avid weekend fan, I absolutely can't get enough of it. So I, I don't know. I just, I just love it. It's good to see that he's kind of Mm -hmm. getting back to like, you know, some like dark, but it's still a little poppy, you know, but it's still, it's getting like darker again. You know what I mean? Whereas you know, yeah it's not like that can't and, feel my face stuff. yeah exactly that was all like sell out that was all like sell out like mainstream you know kind of you know whatever that's what the people wanted to hear that's what's going to get you the you know the exactly. all the streams and whatnot but we are not a music podcast <laughs> or a radio show so i don't know where i went wrong there but whatever i that loved happens. it apparently a lot of people hate it but i hated a lot of uh previous super bowl other ones shows, like yeah. bruno mars but i just can't I just can't stand Bruno Mars. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, that sounds like a you, a you problem, Yeah, (laughs) but (laughs) so whatever Tom Brady is the most overrated quarterback in NFL history. Prove me wrong right now. Okay. I get why everyone might've said that coming into this season and being like, and everyone being like, yeah, he's him in the bucks. They're going to choke. They got all these old washed up guys, starting with the oldest, most washed up guy, Tom Brady, like whatever I get the haters. But after that after a literal seventh ring most of all time with the new team like I I just I still don't understand how you would call him overrated or would call him washed up or whatever well I'll I'll tell you why he's he's the most he's the luckiest benefactor of the greatest teams and system and and coaches collectively and just situations in history like you literally can't make this up the super bowl was so bad it i mean there's no doubt that they would have won regardless i think you know just they're a better football team they're a better coach on that day and you know tom brady did just enough you know what i mean credit credit to that i guess but they're they are by far the best team from like the quarterback position all the way to the safeties all the way all the way across the board well, not quarterback position, but that's I would say that actually Tom Brady is a weakness in in on that team. If you look at every position, O-line stacked, running backs stacked, Ronald Jones and and and, and uh Leonard Fournette, you know what I'm saying? Tight ends stacked, Gronk obviously, even Cameron Bray, their backup is good. Uh what else? Receivers stacked. Two will like all pros and and you know, A B, a washed up A B or whatever, but he's still out there contributing. Yeah, you know he I mean? touchdowns. Defensive line stacked. Linebackers, best in the league. Corners stacked. Safeties stacked. Whitehead and, and Winfield Jr., young guys. You know what I mean? When when I, I just don't understand how the dude can get so lucky. And Bruce Arians is a great coach. Byron Leftwich, great offensive coordinator. Here's the thing. When you have the refs calling D 
the most ridiculous. I mean, you can't make it up. Some dude is offsides on on dudes offsides on a, on a fourth down and five. So they, mm-hmm. they don't get to, they made a field goal, declined the, or accepted the penalty first down and, and goal. And of course, they score a touch. I think that one was to, to Gronk. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Tom Brady, where, where did he make an impressive throw? Against so Green you think Bay. he's just like a right, right place, right, right time kind of guy. That's what I'm saying. Here, here's here. Let me start. But at a certain point, you can't call that luck, and you have to wonder if, if he gets in these situations, like they have something to do with him. Like half of the people, not half, but like a lot of the people on the Bucks this season that helped him a lot weren't on the Bucks before Tom Brady came. True. You know, he's responsible, like for Gronk, for AB, for like probably right. Fournette, like kind of getting all those dudes together I mean they he's like a magnet for talent and yeah the Bucks were like so pretty talented like beforehand but when their quarterback yeah. was Jameis Winston they were terrible Agreed. now look at the biggest thing that's changed from the Bucks being bad to the Bucks winning the Super Bowl it's Tom Brady like you can't point at any other one specific thing from last season that this season that's changed that wasn't Tom Brady Bruce Arians Head coach, that makes a pretty big deal. That, that's a pretty – here's the thing. Tom Brady won a Super Bowl fucking MVP for this shit. 72 MVP, yards. Was- 72 yards gained in the air and 72 yards gained via penalty on the Chiefs defense. Like that – wow, that, that's greatness, guys. Unbelievable. Here's, here's the thing. Starts since 2018 – this is three years – where a team allowed nine or fewer points – Aaron Rodgers, two times in 52 starts. Tom Brady, two times in two Super Bowls. Obviously referring back to the the uh, the, the St. Louis Ram- or the LA Rams, you know, where they gave up only three points. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see here. What, what else do I got? Um, Tom Brady's defense in the fourth quarter of his last four Super Bowl wins. Punt, punt, interception, fumble, punt, 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 interception, miss field goal, turnover on downs, interceptions. You know what I'm saying? Like that's unbelievable. That's Tom Brady's luck. And you throw that on top of 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 uh of the referee's help and stuff like that. And then all his checkdowns to, you know, wide open, you know, uncovered, you know, Leonard Fournette out of the backfield, Gronk out in the flat. Like the dude didn't throw it through throw the make a completion downfield once. You know, uh, against the – that's what – he's made a career of this. I can't stand the guy. And he's always oh, the greatest ever. He's the best ever. He's the greatest. If you put Patrick Mahomes or, or Aaron Rodgers or, or, or uh, even like Andrew Luck or like Drew Brees or like Russell Wilson on, you know, on, on those teams, they're, they win 10 Super Bowls. They're 10 and 0, 10 rings where Brady has what, seven and like four now, right? Yeah, I think he's been to yeah been to ten one. I don't know, um, but okay. No one's denying that the Bucks defense is fantastic. Like if you could have given the MVP to the the defense as a whole, like that's obviously what should have happened. But I mean, he still threw for touchdowns. Like he still had a shit ton yards. I mean, Patrick Mahomes. Like the Chiefs' offense is like I would say definitively better than the Bucks, and Patrick yeah. Mahomes 
couldn't do shit. And yeah, great defense, but I'd also argue that Patrick Mahomes, at least right now, is, is better than Tom Brady. So better quarterback versus slightly better defense. Should have been able to at least hold his own with a slightly worse quarterback versus slightly worse he defense. He did everything he could. And he was doing superhuman shit. Like, yeah. But it didn't, it didn't work. And at a certain point, like you have to, I mean, so, I don't know. Is I'm it, happy. You know what? I'm super unlucky. I mean, I'm happy that the Bucks won. You know why? Because that defense was the real MVP. And that goes back to like show that a great defense is truly the best offense. And it's truly that you know, I like totally agree with. trumps, you know, any, any offense and stuff like that. And, and, and yeah, you know, every, every time that, you know, the, the Chiefs try to um, get back in the game, you know, there's a big drop, you know, by Kelsey or, or uh, there's, you know, just the crazy penalties and they just can never get anything going and stuff. And, and uh, Brady was, you know, Brady really prepped. You could tell that he prepped, he prepped really well for this game. So I'll, I'll give him that, but you know, you can't, you know, that's, that's, that's something that you can, you know, kind of uh, control on your own, but um yeah, I mean, he, he, Brady can't – he's not the athlete that Rodgers is, that even, you know, Breeze is – he never will have the talent that all these greats did. He just happens to be the luckiest, you know, like benefactor of the greatest teams and the greatest situations and the greatest coaches throughout his 20-year career, however long he's been playing. I can't stand the guy. He's a checkdown fraud, and I can't – and he's probably such a cool dude, too. Like, he would probably be the funnest interviewer, the coolest dude to just, like, go play golf with or, like, yeah, chop it up with. strange. But I just cannot stand the guy as a football player. I can't – don't hate greatness. Yeah. Nobody nobody motivates his defense. Nobody tells the kickers to make field goals, and no one hands the ball off, and no one motivates the refs to throw flags like Tom Brady. That's, that's the GOAT right there. God. I mean, can one person win a football game? No. I mean, Absolutely not. Not not even a little bit. It's probably the one sport where, like, having a really good player on your team doesn't mean shit unless the rest of your team can kind of back it up. But, I mean, to have that many more championships than everyone else and that many more playoff wins, like, in certain situations you get lucky, yes, but for the gap to be that fucking big, like, how are you going to say that, that that was all, like – it's not even like, okay, he, he won like one or two games and he got lucky, but like he's won so many more. Rather, this dude's the luckiest motherfucker on like the planet Earth, or he's doing a little something right. And he gets guys, talented guys to come play with him and he gets them motivated and he gets the team chemistry going and he's a leader <laughs> and he wins rings and that's what he does and i would not be surprised if we saw so he's the greatest leader of all time then he's the greatest like (laughs) that's not a that's an important thing for a quarterback to do agreed agreed tangibles agreed but think about it think about those patriot dynasty years man for you know almost two decades they're just they're they're a machine they were they're the greatest franchise greatest team greatest stretch ever in history and when they get a real quarterback this this offseason no matter who it you know who whoever it may be they're gonna be Super Bowl favorites again you know and and the Patriots will be back and you'll be back in the playoffs next year so I think it's now it's on um Belichick to do something great without Brady or kind of get back up to par because I think yeah. 
you had a lot of people and it sounds like you might be one of them saying Tom Brady benefited from the system in New England and Belichick yeah. and it was all him and now he's gone on with a completely different system completely different mm-hmm. coach to do it so I think now it's kind of like Belichick's turn to be like hey I can do this without you too but even their last like couple of years with with Brady were not great they were definitely losing yeah. players on the decline mm-hmm. you know what I mean and and they lost a lot you know the year that Brady left and stuff like that so um yeah it's it's definitely a weird like threshold like in between time right now in new england but yeah. i think they're you know they'll, they'll make the right moves this this offseason in the draft and and you know i'm sure they'll make a trade or two you know get a quarterback get a real quarterback and stuff like that who knows mm-hmm. russell wilson might be on the move now deshaun watson there's still a lot of people team. yeah a lot you know of saying? like god knows who's who's next carson wentz got traded you know since the last time we re- we recorded so mm-hmm. Denver's looking to be active, you know, get a, get a, they're looking to, they're the odds on favorite, I think for Deshaun Watson now, um, really? whatever that means, I you know what I mean? So juice. take that with a grain of salt. Um, yeah. So a lot, a lot's going on. Um, I think we so, need to yeah. get Jimmy G back in New England, you know, and that's and, my take. Oh, wow. That, I don't know how he would end I'm up back in New England, but because, go all out for, uh, for Deshaun Watson. Oh man, Deshaun Watson in a lot of Pat's uniform makes me literally shake and and makes me sick. Mm. So whatever NFL offseason, you know the the NFL draft is like Christmas Day for me, and it's so far away. It's like three months away. I can't wait for the draft. I'm already starting to do like draft research. I can't wait Mm. for Demetrius Felton from UCLA to get true. I'm I have such a like is he projected is he projected to go any late third high? fourth round late third fourth round so I have like such like it's my wet dream for as a Packer fan and UCLA Bruin for him to come to the Packers in like the fourth round like it would just he would feel such a need for us you know the gadget player, be... you know come out of the backfield mm-hmm. run the slot you know what I mean and and kick or return kicks and yeah, so I'm just putting that into the universe right now, like That'd Demetrius be- Felton to yeah. Green Bay in the fourth round. So yeah. yeah, we'll see. There'll be some. We'll get some draft talk, you know, closer to the summer to the summer break. But um, yeah, it'll be a lot of interesting. Yeah, stuff. speaking of UCLA, basketball season is winding down. March Madness is coming up. We are so we are. Let's see. We just had a really really gritty comeback win against Arizona State. We, Dude, we're, we're still lucky. doing the thing. We're still doing the thing where we're barely beating teams. Lost mm-hmm. to Washington State. The score was – we only lost by eight, but it felt like we lost by about 30 uh, uh, a week and a half ago. Beat Washington, terrible Washington, by only by three points. Yep. You know, beat Arizona pretty handily, but, like, for half that game, it was, you know, way closer than it should have been. And then losing to Arizona State by, you know, eight to ten all game long, finally crawl back and finally get, you know, uh, uh, inch that, you know, inch that one out at the very end, you know, with the free throw with a second left. So Utah's coming up. Colorado's pretty good. Got to play them. And then uh, the Oregon and then the, uh, the Oregon game got rescheduled for March 3rd. Uh, today it actually got rescheduled and obviously March 6th is the, is the finale with SC. At Pavilion. So obviously that, that is a huge day. We're circling that one on our calendars and yeah, we're going to beat the Trojans this time. So tied for first in the Pac-12, 
Um, I really want Bill Walton to come on, but we might have to wait till after March. That would be weekend. unreal. But yeah, I, really, I really bet you. I him. bet his his hands will be pretty full. Yeah. Have you have you have you watched some of the games where he's like commenting on ESPN? Where he's announcing? At? Yeah, he's he's dope. He is hilarious. He's, but like, he, yeah, he's got some good. Oh my god! How many times? And I want to ask him this when we interview. We're gonna interview him. I I just have a feeling. I'm I'm gonna keep trying until we get mm-hmm. him on. How many times does that dude in one game broadcast say the conference of champions? <laughs> like, I swear to God, that dude gets like paid to say conference of champions. I, he's probably fucking, yeah, sponsored because it hasn't been the conference of champions in, you know, a little while. That but- dude, I don't know if he's like frenemies with Dave Pash, who he, you know, who is the lead commenter mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, that's his broadcast team, you know, with all these games in the Pac-12. But dude, he like roasts Dave every it's like it's it's I like feel bad for him. You can tell Dave is like trying to like like hold back and just like you know not make it uncomfortable, not make it weird. You know what I mean? But like that's gotta give fuck. They have some hilarious banter, and it's mostly Bill is what I'm talking about. But mm-hmm. I really want to get him on and, and ask him about that because yeah, that's. It definitely makes the uh, the UCLA games or whatever Pac-12 game is on, you know, even that much uh, worth watching. It's it's quite funny, but um, 100%. Yeah, so going into the final nitty gritty of uh, of the season, and then uh, the Pac-12 championship or the Pac-12 uh, tournament, and then March Madness. Hopefully, we sneak in with like a six, like a four to sixty, four at the best, six. I'll you take- think? I think if we keep losing, we're we're like dropping. I oh, mean, for sure, for sure. But I'm saying if we win, maybe two happens. of these last three yeah. games. You know what I mean? Beat Oregon. We'll probably beat Oregon. Probably should beat Utah. Colorado will be, eh, you know, and then USC. You know that could go either way. If we win three out of four, I could see us winning three out of four. We've been, we're a gritty team. Yeah. We're just we're just hanging in there. Nothing's pretty. We don't have like that, that ace, like, you know, that NBA, like, you know, lotto player, like, you know, mm-hmm. Colorado has USC has even Arizona state and Washington state have, you know what I mean? But um, you just kind of, they just kind of get it done. It's like a really collective, like a, it, it reminds me of like a, like a Wisconsin team, you know what I mean? A bunch of mm-hmm. white boys that, <laughs> that just play good as a team hustle and, and do their job. And everyone had, no one scores more than like eight or 12 points. You know what I mean? And, no, I I think gritty is by far the best word mm-hmm. used to describe this team. Like they, that's how they, that's how they win. And there's never a dude that like, I mean, I guess occasionally there's, but like that explodes for, you know, 30 points or whatever. It's always just like Johnny Juzang's been going. Yeah. He's actually, he actually, time. yeah. I was seeing about that as I said. And even that Jaime, uh, uh, Jaquez, Jaquez, he, yeah. he's had a couple pretty like quiet, like good games. You know what I mean? He averaged 17 and a half last week in two games. So two or three games. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's really interesting. There's a lot of hope, you know, and, and when it all comes together, which hopefully it is, it doesn't matter. If you win March Madness, you're getting hot at the right time. Whoever gets hot at the right time. Exactly. That's why I fucking run. love March Madness. Cause it's not like, it's not like the best team always wins. No, it's, it's exactly. It's sort of like a. Whoever's hot at the right time, who gets yeah. the good matchups yeah. you know, and things like that. I agree. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Here's the hoping that you at UCLA will sneak in with like around like a six or better and make some noise and and i don't do some damage in the pac-12 tournament you know what i mean in the in the uh, end of season uh, tournament so 
the yeah, conference definitely. tournament. So we'll see. But um, also next week we have a couple, we have a very important UCLA guest uh, interview. We have Martin Jarman, the yeah. athletic director for uh, UCLA. So we're definitely going to um, enjoy interviewing him. Uh, talk about a little bit about his collegiate background and his, you know, uh, academic and, and, and uh, uh, his uh, background in, in collegiate sports and um, and then talk about, you know, how the Jordan deal, the Nike Jordan yep. deal went down we you know, get and, some, and how the Under Armour deal merch. fell through. Yeah, yeah. So um, that'll be that'll be a great conversation. And then after that, we'll have another UCLA legend, uh, former john wooden standout you know he won the first ever john wooden award um playing for ucla marcus johnson who was a power forward and a longtime milwaukee buck has his name or has his number retired uh at the at the bradley center well actually it's the fiser forum now um and now he does color commentary uh for for the bucks i met him one time cool guy you know he's he's really respected you know he's from la and stuff like that but uh, a lot of you know deep roots with ucla and and the bucks still so hell yeah stay tuned for those and then we should get to our interview and that'll take us out and then we will talk to y'all next week and we got martin jarman next week but this week, enjoy Hoist Gracie. Peace. Our next guest today is an MMA legend and trailblazer of the sport of MMA, as well as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He is a UFC Hall of Famer, a pioneer of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, one of the most influential uh, fighters in history and the first ever UFC tournament champion, also doing it two other times. Please welcome the one and only Hoist Gracie. Thank you, sir, for coming on with us tonight. Good. Thank you. So I'm going to get right into our first question. Uh, according to your Wikipedia, you are semi-retired. So would you like to break the news that you are officially retiring from MMA or that you're announcing a fight again here on our show? No, I don't have any fights set up. Um, I stopped about 10 years ago, but they keep bringing me back in. <laughs> I, you got to know when to stop on the sport, man. It's the, the body doesn't recover as well anymore. So you're so, saying there's a chance. Well, never say never. Never say no, there's no chance. But, but on the same time, no, I'm not looking for another fight. No, right. let the young guys do it. Let them take over now. <laughs> i pay my dues man <laughs> good good I, I was yeah that's that's great i was uh i saw that and i was actually confused about that so um so all right let's get into it for real now uh so you're one of the you know the og ufc fighters you know from the beginning of days of of ufc you know since since ufc won um so back then they fought in tournament style events which you won and, and you won three of the first four ever and almost the fourth or almost the first four ever. So could you explain how the UFC tournaments worked back then? Cause obviously it looked a lot different than, you know, the current day, you know, UFC, uh, you know, these past 10, 20 years, what, 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 what was the events like? Was, was it, what, did they have belts? Did they have titles? Did they have different weight classes? Did, were all the fights in the same night or the same event? Can you, can you explain to us uh, how those events were back then? The whole thing started 
uh, back in Brazil, okay, when my, my uncles, then my father learned and from the Japanese German and they, and they start teaching. And um, what happened is it became a quest for my family to find out which style is the best because the karate guy said that his style is the best one. He can knock everybody out. And then the boxer comes over and says, no, 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 my style is better. So back in Brazil, back when my uncles, my father, they start like a quest to find out which style is the best. So they will take all the rules out, the time limit, no gloves, no weight division, and put two men to fight. I mean, normally be jiu-jitsu against karate or jiu-jitsu because they were trying to find out if their style was good. Everybody claimed that their style is the best. So they're like, man, we say ours is the best. So how can we prove it? How can we find out? So it was like a testing ground. So they would challenge boxers and capoeira guys and kickboxers and they would challenge everybody. No time limit, no weight division, no rug, no gloves, no rules. Everything goes, man. It was brutal. Um, but there was single fights. And then my, bro- my cousins did it, my brothers did it. And then my older brother came to America. And we start all over again. In Brazil, everybody knew the Grace family. Everybody knew Jiu-Jitsu. My father taught two former presidents in Brazil. Taught everybody. He used to say, everybody passed through my hands at one point. But when my brother Horan got to America, people didn't know about it. It's like... Um, Baby Ruth going to Brazil, and people be like, who is that again? Wait, wait, what kind of sport is that? Because we don't play that in Brazil. We don't play baseball in Brazil, so people wouldn't know, you see? So that's how Horion felt when he came to America. And after years over here teaching in the garage in private classes, he decided to start the first, uh, the, create the first UFC. But then to put single fights, he felt it would take so long because then, okay, even if I win the karate guy, but then the boxer beats the, the kickboxer or the boxer beats the judo guy, it, now we have to fight three months later to find single fight. So my brother decided to do a tournament, eight-man tournament. It was, a, on the beginning, it was a style against a style. So a day before, they would pull the name out of the head, they draw the name out of the head, and there was no time limit, no weight division, no gloves. So those guys, 250, 270 pounds. I was the lightest one on the first UFC. It was like about 178. Um, but then they, once I won the first one, my brother did a second one. On the second one was a 16-man tournament. So again, I won total time was like fast. It was like 10 minutes of work. <laughs> and we beating four opponents in one night. And then the third one, I the third UFC, again, no gloves, no rules, no time limit. I fought my first match. I won, but I had dehydration. So I couldn't come back to fight the second one. I didn't fight the second match. So I came back again on the fourth UFC. Again, it was a tournament style, four-man, I mean, uh, eight-man tournament, and I won. 
And that begins the whole history of uh, MMA in America, in the world. Because what happens in Brazil, the world don't see it, don't know. At least back then, there was not so much access to internet and wasn't the, the speed wasn't that fast. So, I mean, people had to wait for VHSs to arrive from America to Brazil so they can watch the UFC. But then um, once America found out, the whole world found out. Yeah, so speaking of that, like you have had this this long career, like you said, like fighting guys with no time limits, no weight limits. So you fought guys like so much bigger than you and gone on for really long fights. So I'm just sort of wondering like, where does that sort of like mental toughness and drive come from? Like, is there like what part of you just you know, says like, you know what, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to take on this guy that's like twice my size. Like, where does that all come from with you, do you think? Well, it's, uh, first, you have to know what you're doing. Once you know what you're doing, I don't know how to play American football. I have no business in that field. <laughs> Everybody's going to go left, I'm going to go right. It's like, what? What's going wait? I don't even know how to catch a ball with the throw. <laughs> Anyways, so you have to know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. I train against big guys. I practice with the big guys. I practice. I know this style. So, and I trust my family. So they've done it before. My father, my uncles, my cousins, brothers, everybody grew up. We're probably the largest sports family in the world. It's like every, I mean, not everybody, but majority practice one way or the other. They practice, they teach, they compete. Some fights, some you see are involved in different ways, but everybody's involved pretty much in, in jiu-jitsu. But the mental toughness, I think, is based on knowledge. You have to know what you're doing. I normally I tell people there's three things. You have to know what you're doing. That's the first thing. The second thing is endurance. You have to have endurance. You can have the fastest car in the world. But if you don't have gas, what are you going to do? Push that car around town? <laughs> you're going to get tired. You're, gonna, you're not going to push too far. Your next door neighbor have a scooter full of gas. He will go much farther than you. The third thing is power. So now that you know how to drive the car, you have gas. Now you have horsepower. That's a, the complete package right there. So it's not exactly mental toughness. No, don't take down. People's like, oh man, you're so. I am asleep before the fights. My brother has to come in and tickle my head and wake me up. It's like, brother, whisper my ear, can you please get up? <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll get up. And they stretch me left and right. And can you go do your thing now, please? <laughs> I just know what I'm doing, I just know how to fight. Uh, speaking to that point, so. By, by, the way, by the way, excuse me for a second. I always tell people, too, that toughness and talent won't keep you on top forever. Talent, it's very common that you hear uh, a baseball player or, or a soccer player, a football player, or anything. It's like a, an athlete, a basketball player. Oh, my God, this guy's so talent. Oh, my God, this guy, this player over here. This football player, he's so tough. He can resist, he can take the hits, he can hit back. He's super tough. 
but without discipline to get up and practice every day, he won't stay on top forever. So the toughness, yeah, toughness and talent eventually goes away. You have to have discipline. Those are some words to live by right there. I feel myself getting inspired right now. I want to go get in the ring. Please don't without training. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to get slaughtered. Um, speaking of slaughtering, so I was reading up a little bit in preparation on the history of, of UFC, especially early UFC. And you were talking about how different styles were kind of going at each other and you were trying to figure out what was the best. From what I gathered, that question was answered, and the answer was Brazilian jiu-jitsu, in part because of you and because of your brother and because of your contributions. What makes Brazilian jiu-jitsu such a dominant fighting style? Great jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the more complete form of, of martial art. Let's say, for instance, um, kickboxing. It's great, but if you go to the ground, the fight stops. Uh, boxing, karate, all the stand-up arts, once you get in a clinch and you take the opponent to the ground, they don't know what to do. So it's limit. Um, judo, it's very good with takedowns, with throws, but they don't have much ground game and they don't have the striking art. They don't practice the striking part. Wrestling, very good takedowns. But again, if you pin the guy down to the ground like Judo, if you pin him down, you win. But in a real fight, it doesn't matter. On the streets, it doesn't matter if you pin your opponent on the streets. You pin him, but the fight's still going on. You see, so Jiu-Jitsu, it doesn't matter if you pin me down. We're going to go. If I'm, my back is on the ground, it doesn't matter. If I'm on top, if I'm on the body, if I'm far away, if I'm in a clinch. So it's more complete style of self-defense. And that's the quest that we had. Because the karate guys will say, oh, my God, my style is the most deadliest one. And the boxers will say, no, 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 mine is the best. It's the most dead. I can punch through a cement wall. Okay. But what if you miss that punch and I get in a clinch? You see? And then the wrestlers will come over and say, oh, but I can take you down. Okay. You take me down, but you can't finish the fight. There's no submission in wrestling. You see? So... It's a, that was the quest, and we found out, and that's what makes you just the most complete art of, of, of self-defense. So to piggyback off that, actually, I, I was wondering, for you, in your opinion, what do you think – I mean, you fought everybody. I mean, every single probably, you know, different uh, discipline and, 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 and different variety of, of the fighters, you know, from wrestling, judo, boxing, you know, even if you fought a sumo wrestler, you know what I mean, before. So – who or what was the hardest style that you've had to face before? Um, the hardest style, I think, would be another jiu-jitsu opponent because he knows exactly what I know. So he knows what I know. Yeah. Some, and, and that's what happened. Like after the first, uh, the first UFC, my finals, I fought Gerard Gordeaux. He's from uh, kickboxing champion from Holland. I went to his school many years later and he invited me to go teach at his place. So I went teaching and, and, and he told me, he confessed, man, after you beat me so easily, I came back to Holland and I prepare 
a guy named Remco Pardu to specifically fight you. Remco was a judo player, so had an idea about the ground. He was judo champion in Europe. And they taught him to stand up, how to punch and kick and, and prepare him to fight me on the UFC too. I fought him. He was my second fight of the night. And I choked him out easily again. And the guy was like 260 pounds. Judo champion, European judo champion, knew some stand-up, some, some, some cries, some kickboxing. And I choked him out. So people went back, like, they went back and said, okay, that's it. We have to learn the style. We have to learn. That's what they said. It's like, then that's when they start teaching his school jiu-jitsu. And Remco actually came back and won and became the champion after that. And competing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, became from judo, he turned jiu-jitsu, became jiu-jitsu champion. So, but they, they had to learn. That's amazing. Um, so I wanted to ask over the entirety of your career, do you have like a favorite fight or moment or something that really sticks out to you personally as like, this was a good, a good memory? Winning three fights on the first UFC. I should know, scratch that one. Winning four fights on the second UFC. Nah. On the third UFC, when I fought Kimo, Kimo's 250 pounds, built like the god Zeus. No, 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 stop. Hold on, hold on. There's one better than that. Fight UFC four. After my third fight of the night was against an All-American wrestling champion, 265 pounds. He beat everybody before me like nothing until he ran into me. Hold on. Hold on. I got one better. Fighting Akibono. Six foot eight, 490 pounds, the best sumo wrestlers of all time, <laughs> and beat him in under three minutes. When everybody thought I was crazy when I signed up for that one. <laughs> That's insane. So that means all, all the fights. Khalil, you got you got one, bro. Hey, sorry about that. Uh, thought you were going next. Um, okay, so I mean, you faced some pretty incredible competition of the guys that are in the game right now. If you could take one of them, stick them in a time machine, and bring them back to when you were fighting, who would you want to fight from today's crop of talent? There is only one way to find out. <laughs> that's why we create this game what if Bruce Lee was alive and decided to fight Hulk Hogan who would have win in a no time limit no way division it's the curiosity that made us create such a show it made my, my brother create the UFC you see so it's hard to compare hard to, to pick the fighter from today because they train different because they are training for one single fight only, not for a tournament style, not for three, four fights in one night. But the equipment is better. The opponent now is not today, it's not a one style against a style anymore. It's an athlete against an athlete because all the stand up guys, they learn how to fight on the ground. And all the grapplers, you see the wrestlers now, they know how to do submissions, they know how to do take downs from wrestling, but they know how to do submission from jiu jitsu. And they know how to punch in boxing, knocking people out, you see. 
Some of the wrestlers got heavy hands. They became very good knockout artists. So, but that background is they came from wrestling. So all the grapplers learn how to stand up. The stand-up guys learn how to fight in the, in the ground. So it's it's a, but they're training for a, a weight limit, for a time limit, for a, a single fight on that night. So it's hard to compare. Do you think that the way the sport has changed is good, bad, or neither? It's good. It's good. Um, my father used to say, okay, if you're fighting somebody heavier than you, okay, we'll give it to them the weight advantage. But they got to give me time. Because you put a lightweight to fight against a heavyweight, the heavyweight take him down, get on top of him, hold him down for 15 minutes, and he wins because they take down, because he score a point. It's unfair. So I'll give you the time, but you got to give me, I mean, I'll give you the weight, but you got to give me the time. So right today, they put everybody on the same weight. They have to step on a scale. So it's more of a who have the best strategy, who can take the opponent out of the game and be able to knock him out. Sometimes people say, oh, man, that was an easy fight. There's no such a thing as an easy fight. The, the guy trains to make you step over there so he can punch you. You know how many times he practiced that? It's just a question to be able to pull it off. And sometimes you see a fight, oh, man, that wasn't fair. Man, that was too fast. That was, the guy is, is a, no, it's a, he prepared for that. That was a strategy. There's no such thing as a lucky punch or, no, he prepared for that. He made the guy step there and he knocked him out, you see. So this, this is kind of a, this is just kind of something I've always wanted, Hoist, is, you know, when I, I'm a big MMA fan, I love UFC and stuff like that. I watch Bellator, you know, obviously your son's in Bellator right now. He's, he's awesome. You know, I met him a couple of times. Um, just how dangerous and painful are, are leg kicks? And can you put into perspective for, you know, just some average person off the street, the damage and effects that leg kicks actually cause? Um, it's not a, I mean, if you're kicking the legs, it's not going to knock you out fast, but it's going to chop you down. It's going to kick and after three, four kicks, sometimes the first kick, man, you get such a bruise. As soon as you kick the second time on the same spot, it's like, oh my God, I don't want to get kicked again. And it throws me off my game. Sometimes you get kicked so many that you can't walk anymore. You see, you, can, you just become a standing target. Now they chop your legs down. You can't walk. Your legs is all messed up. So now they go for the knockout kick to the head or punch to the face, to the head, you see. But the leg is just kind of, it's yes. But again, you have the adrenaline. So you might not feel the first one right away or the second, the third. But after a while, man, you see some of the guys, they get kicks four or five times on the same spot, man. And they can't walk anymore. And the brain still functioning, going, step. But the legs doesn't obey. <laughs> the legs are going to say, I can't. You can't walk anymore and become a stunning target. Yeah, it's, it's a... But same thing with punches. You punch the guy so many times in one spot. And after a while, it doesn't... You can't function anymore. The body doesn't respond. The bruise doesn't latch you. 
So your son is now also fighting in the UFC. And I know you mentioned like fighting has always been sort of a huge thing for your family. What has it sort of meant for you to have like your son fall in your footsteps and to just like have your family kind of all in this same area? Has it been, how's that been for you? Um, okay. To be born at Gracie, it can be a blast or it can be a curse. If you don't know how to defend yourself, if you don't know the style, ooh, it will be a curse. So you don't have to fight. You don't force people in the family to fight professionally, to fight, uh, to teach, but you have to know. As long as you know how to do it, it's like being a, a Michael Jordan's son. The question will come up, hey, can you play basketball? Can you shoot hoops? You have to at least know how to dribble a ball. If it doesn't, it's like, uh-oh. So being a son of any professional athlete or, or, or in anybody that have a career, it can be a blast, it can be a curse. So I tell them, hey, you don't, guys don't have to follow, don't have to do it, but you have to know. It happens that he knows and he's enjoying and, and the kid can teach and he can fight. So, yep, got the heart, got the, the discipline to get up and train. Very disciplined, by the way. <laughs> discipline that every time, I mean, that was a training camp that we start to butt heads over here. So I told him, hey, why don't you go Go see your girlfriend. Relax for a bit. <laughs> About a month before the fight. He said, nope. Not until after the fight. I was like, dude, go see her. I'm going to call her. I'm going to tell her to come over so you can, I'll leave the house. You guys can have the house for yourself. Just for, he's like, nope. Very disciplined. Not doing it. Not until after the fight. <laughs> Not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, my father used to say, my father used to say, my uncle, they used to say that we should not have a relationship with a woman six months before a fight. Six months. I always argue with my father, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That time out here. I understand, okay? But six months? How did the Gracie family got so big if you, let's say you fought twice a year, how did you manage <laughs> to have nine kids and Uncle Carlos managed to have 21 kids? Let's say you guys fought twice a year. How did the family get so wow. big? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> yeah, his, 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 yeah, I don't know about the six months thing, but he used to try to make me stay six months away. I say, like, hey, I don't know about that. <laughs> so oh, I kind of want to follow up. Okay, tell, you know what? I'm, go, I'm going to because you just mentioned that. So one of my, one of my closest friends, you know, he, he's here in LA and stuff like that. His name is Griff. This guy swears by, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, transmute, sexual transmutation. So basically uh, just holding your seed for, you know, like an extended amount of time, you know, and... <clears throat> In order to like boost, you know, your, your test level, your test levels, your creativity, your focus, your discipline, you know, semen retention. So it, after what you, your dad, you know, taught you or, 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 you know, kind of talked with you guys about or, or, or instructed you, 
is that is that something that actually did that is that something that you know about or that other do you know of any other fighters you know who who abide by that or or practice that because you know he says that a lot of you know pro athletes and greats you know great businessmen and and really successful you know moguls you know what i mean and in their respective um careers practice that and because of that they're you know they're wiser they're 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 you know much smarter with their money you know more creative better performer at you know whatever sport they are respectively do you, do you know anything about that or have you heard anything on well, i never heard of any other athletes doing that um i used to hear that from him but i think i got him figured out um because i heard too that i mean not the night before the fight you go ahead and have a party with your girl no but okay a week before it kind of to release release some pressure release just okay a gentle thing touch but i think what he was he met was more like um, to be around your family your kids your wife and you come home from training and the wife will go hey can you watch the baby over here it kind of soften you up it takes you off the let's say war mentality the the fighting mentality and oh honey can you please help me wash the dishes please i'm tired tonight it's like okay now i'm getting ready for a fight but i'm over here doing laundry doing washing or cleaning or watching the baby or doing home chores it's nothing wrong with that i love doing that i was always able to separate when i never brought my fighting home when i come home and i always try to explain to him that that hey when i'm home i don't talk about fighting we don't talk about fighting we'll go outside the house you see we'll talk outside we'll go outside we'll talk and strategy for the fight then we'll come home i'll totally change but i can see some people get sidetrack and get distracted kind of like the navy seals I saw a movie about the navy seals and they were saying we can't go to war having issues at home um you know which movie i'm talking about it's a old one that was uh uh i think you're talking about act um act of, uh, act of valor that's right yes. me and, yeah we, one of my we, best friends favorite clear up. that's gotta right clear up everything if we have issues at home we can't take you So make sure that everybody's in peace at home so we can go to war fine. You see, instead of having issues at home and then have to go fight with something inside your mind, inside your brain. So it was more not to, I don't think it was just, I don't think he meant exactly a sexual relationship, but so my training camps, I would move to a hotel down the street. So I, I concentrate on the fight. My brothers who stay there, a couple of sparring partners, we all straight stay at the same hotel, constant, like concentrating for the fight. Instead, even though a month before the fight, I'll move out. Sometimes two months, I'll move out of the house. We talk, but I don't go home. Maybe I went home one day a week to see, to say hi to the kids, say hi to the wife, but it was not like going home every night eventually it's going to happen. Hey, do you mind cooking dinner tonight? Because I'm tired. I spend all day. It's, I'm working. I'm taking care of the kids and the kid is sick. And do you mind helping me out over here? It's like, it cuts off the mentality of going to war, you see, going to a fight. So I think that's what he meant. 
that's, that's an amazing counter perspective. I, I guess, you know, I guess, yeah, I, I didn't consider that either, but that, that, that can be just as effective. That's, you know, so, well, that, this is kind of related. I was going to ask you about your pre fight fight ritual because, you know, in, in merging vets and players LA, you know, where, where I met you and stuff like that before and, and, and where we talked and, 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 you know, you instructed me a little bit, um, you, you, you discussed, you shared with us about your pre-fight ritual. And you even mentioned it earlier in this interview, you know, where you would nap. And then during the, and then, and then during the actual fight, you said something like your blood pressure never rose above a certain, like some crazy average, you know, blood pressure. Can you, can you share some of that? Can you, can you explain some of that to us? Okay. Everybody's different. Some of the guys that have to throw up before they walk in the cage. If they don't throw up, they're not ready. They, they stay in the locker room. They don't come out until they throw up. You see, I heard some of the fighters do that. Some of the guys have to, you see, make a phone call. Everybody have a different ritual. The day before my fight, the night before, the afternoon before, I'll lay down in my, my bedroom, my, my hotel room. I'll bring the, my corners, put them sitting down. Turn off all the lights, make it dark. And I'll describe to them what's going to happen during the fight. I'll totally visualize the fight and give it to them just details of the fight of from if, I, if I'm winning, if I'm losing, if I'm on top, if I'm on the bottom, different routes to the fight can happen. What if he punches me? How I'm going to react? If he kicks me, how I'm going to react? You see, I, I describe more for them to know me how I see the fight going and visualize the fight. On the day of the fight, every fighter goes to the cage. They see the, the, the cage, they inspect the cage, just get the feel for it hours before the, the show starts. And we go back to the locker room. I'll go to the cage with my team. We'll make a circle. My brother will give a prayer. I'll drop one tear on the mat, and that's it. And then we'll go back, and I'm numb after that. Go back to the locker room and go to sleep until they wake me up. <laughs> that means I'm not thinking about dinner that night. I'm not thinking about going home that night. <laughs> I'm going to stay on that mat. So I just wanted to ask a little bit of kind of what you're up to nowadays. So obviously you said you're not fighting anymore. So sort of where has those passions sort of taken you in sort of terms of what you're doing these days? I love a challenge. So, I mean, I, I travel before COVID about seven months of the year because of COVID kind of slowed down a bit, but I travel, I don't have a gym, a school then I got to go to work every day. So I travel about seven months of the year to teaching. Um, that dropped down a lot because of COVID and travel restrictions. And But normal, normal schedule, I travel and go teach. Um, I got next trip is about three weeks from now. I'm going to Florida. I'm going to arrive in Orlando. I teach in Orlando for a day. I go shooting for a day. And then I drive down to Sarasota. I teach two seminars in Sarasota for BJJ schools. And then I teach two seminars for law enforcement in Sarasota. And then I'm driving down to, I have a day over there to shoot with the guys in, in, uh, in Sarasota. The cops are gonna take me out shooting. 
I love shooting. <laughs> so, and then I'm going to go drive, drive down to Jupiter and I got to teach a seminar in Jupiter. Then I fly home. So, but it's a, yeah, that's the normal schedule. I fly in, get off the plane, teach, drive next city, teach all two, three hours the distance, drive, teaching all over the place. But when I say I love a challenge, like right now, I was just at the MVP in uh, in Chicago tonight. And I heard some of the guys saying uh, that, man, I don't have a goal. I don't have, a, and I'm thinking over here, I don't know if I should jump in on this or not, but my son, my two sons, my youngest one is 18, going on 19 next month. He's going to join the Army Rangers by, I think, September. He's joined the Army Rangers. So him, my oldest son that fights for Bellator and the strength coach, we're all going to go do the, the hike um, in is that April. In April, we're going, we're starting training now. In April, we're going to do a hike. Is Cactus to Clouds. Have you guys heard of that? Cactus no, is, is that in the West Coast? It's in Palm Springs. Oh, no, I didn't know that. It's, it's one of the most brutal hikes in the world. Not on distance, but on, on, on steep elevation, how fast you climb high, hiking. Oh, it's brutal. We've done it one portion before. But this time we want to do the whole thing all the way to the top. So it's pretty much get up at four o'clock in the morning. By four thirty, we're on the trail. Four thirty on the trail, and we're gonna go until probably dark. Take a light, put on our head. We're gonna come back at nighttime. <laughs> we plan on that. But that's just challenges that we come up with because we got nothing else better to do. <laughs> so we life is not boring around here at all. So every day we get up, we go to the beach, we run on the sand, or we do hikes over here by where we live. There's a trail that we go for a hike, and we're just training for that. So it's just besides traveling and teaching and, yeah. <laughs> hey, I follow you on Instagram. I see how – I see I – lo- I know you love to shoot. You're shooting every week. I see your stories. <laughs> I shoot better than I can fight, my friend. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> – that's that's top tier then. That's I, I mean shoot. that's elite. <laughs> I can shoot. And and yeah, you're you're uh uh let's see, are you is it a sheriff in the Idaho uh reserve? I'm a I'm a, I'm a reserve for Pocatello Police Department in Idaho. Yes. I was but it's more of but it's more of uh I have to go over it every six months or so, patrol for a couple of days, teach the guys for a couple of days. Um it's more of uh to give it back to them to encourage people to support the law enforcement. And I'm from Brazil, man. I know what it is not to have the police come to help. So it's more like a support because everybody was moving out. There was a lot of um, bad publicity for the police. So everybody was moving out. The guys from Pocatello kind of invite me, hey, do you want to become a reserve for for our department? I was like, sure, man, let's do it. So I flew over there and got swear in, studied for a couple of days, learned the basic department law, and yep, qualified on the shoot on the range. Qualified had to qualify on the range. Qualified with a hundred percent score. Just saying. 
Of course you did. <laughs> no, that's, you know, that's, that's an amazing perspective. And, you know, that's a lot of, that's a perspective that, you know, I would say, you know, a high, high majority, you know, 99% of Americans don't have, you know what I mean? So, so I think that's a really, I, I'm really glad that you shared that. But I, I was so puzzled when I saw that, cause that was after the first time I met you, you know, uh, last summer, I think it was, you know, and then I, yeah. a few days later, I saw you posted that on Instagram I was like, Idaho, that is so random. Like how, how did you end up, you know, doing that in Idaho? I just thought that there, I was like wondering what the connection was, but so I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought that up. That's, that's amazing. I'm actually getting ready to go next month. I think I'm going over there next month. I'm going, I'm up to do, to go over there again, teach for a couple of days, uh, patrol for a couple of days. That's this, awesome. This can you import, think I'm home? Can you imagine imagine getting getting stopped, you know, texting and driving or something like that by freaking officer Hoist Gracie? <laughs> but but if but if people, if the officers knew more jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu gives you confidence. Okay, I went to teach, I went to teach um, the army rangers in the in the East Coast, okay, in Georgia. And at the time, he was Colonel McChrystal. Now he's General McChrystal. At the time, he was a Colonel. And I, was, I went to teach there. And around the first day, they, they brought me into his office and they introduced me to him. And he said, Hoist, my soldiers would never use this. I look at him and I was like, without the respect, sir, so why did you hire me? He's like, man, I want you to give them enough confidence that they will go across any battlefield, strip down their, 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 their equipment, go across any kind of any, any uh, battlefield and, and defend themselves and be able to subdue the opponents with their hands. I want them to have that kind of confidence. But we will never use because the war back then was so far away from far away. You see, so he's like, my soldiers will never get this close. It will be from far away war. But I want them to have the confidence that if they have to, they can drop down all the equipment and go across their field and take somebody down. I said, I can do that. I can give them that confidence. But today, the, the, the battlefield changed so much. They're, they're so close to each other. I run into a, I run into it with a, a, a group of special ops guys. And they told me that, man, a group of them, maybe 10, 12 of them, we practice kickboxing together at the same school in San Francisco. And they go, man, the, thank you very much for what you guys, for, for what your family brought to America and give it to us and the art of Jiu-Jitsu. By the way, the last tour, that's been a few years ago, the last tour that we did, we knock out and choke out more people than we shot. The, the war changed. Now they're so close together. They're not from just from far away. Wow. It became close quarter, it became so close. You know that. It's inside the houses, and they're like, man, we knock out and choke out more people than we took it out, took out. So you know, and and jujitsu. So in the in when I was in the army, I you know, I took this uh, you know, they had the optional the little schools, you know, that you can that you can, you know, get volunteer you can volunteer for or you can get voluntold for. And uh, you know, the army combatives, you know, and, and the army does it in four you know, in, in four phases, you know, phase one, phase or uh, combat is one, two, three, and four, you know what I mean? And then that was my first personal experience, you know, with, with jujitsu. So I did one and two, I did them back to back when I was stationed up in Korea. 
And our first Sergeant Chapa at the time, you know, he's, he, he just got his black belt, I think recently and great leader, great, you know, motivator and stuff like that. And, and he always, he pushed all of us soldiers to go, go get the combative training, go get the combative training. You know, he's a jujitsu guy. And I would say that jujitsu, you know, it's a combination of, of different things and obviously battle scenarios and your weapons and things like that. But a heavy percentage of it, I, I would say is, is jujitsu. And they were, you know, and we got, we got our little army combat uniform, you know, we got our uniform and we use it as you would your gi, you know, when, when you're rolling and stuff like that. So they were teaching us, you know, the, the, the collar chokes and all these different things that you can do, you know, as if you were wearing a gi, because when you're downrange and you're in these battle situations, that's what you're wearing. You know what I mean? And I bet so, you guys have to replace a lot of the buttons. <laughs> That right, right, right. Velcro and a zipper. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that was my personal experience with it. And, and, and that was my, you know, introduction to jujitsu. And I have such a, I'll never forget. I, I had such a realization and such a respect, you know, a for fighters and B, you know, they're the, I think they're top three best athletes in the world of, across the board and B, you know, for jujitsu, I, I was stronger than some of the guys, some of the instructors, and those guys would spin me and have their way with me. <laughs> now I'm over there, you know, like, Knowledge. oh my God, it's, and, and that's how many of your fights went that I've watched, you know what I mean? You know, going back and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's incredible. The, the, I would say, you know, the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's, it's had such a monumental impact on, in America now. And it's, it's just an incredible story. And, and, uh, in the world. and, and the, by yeah. the way, to, to let the viewers know that, um, it started when we start teaching the army rangers and they pick up once they pick up they create the army combatives and they kind of broke it down and they spread out to the entire army that's right the army combatives school i believe is in uh, is in savannah there so yes but uh yeah that's this has been so awesome hoist i appreciate your time so much i really appreciate you coming on and uh we went a little bit past what I initially told you, but hey, it's so good to see. You. I can't wait till you know this is over here, and uh, you know I can, yep. I can see you in person again and stuff like that, and and learn from you again. So, yeah, so, I, uh, yes, sir, yes, sir. Thank you so much for coming on on behalf yeah, of us. Thank all. you so much. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, thank sir. you. Take care, Hoist. Hey, bye.